over to the book of Hebrews. I have a mission for you, should you choose to accept it. It's the one that you accepted when you proclaimed Jesus is Lord. Submission requires courage to give up comfort. It's a mission that makes life busy and complicated to give up simple and easy. It's a mission that calls for others-centered living and to give up self-centered. It's a mission that's lived out at the cross, not at the Hyatt. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of men and women that had committed to the mission. But as time passed, they'd lost heart. They were contemplating giving up. Oh, they still came to things. They still attended. But their life was no longer filled with courageous choices. And with that in mind, the writer of Hebrews starts in chapter 1. And he says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The writer of Hebrews knew what was in their heart. He knew their courage was waning. They'd lost the dream for the mission. They were putting in their time. They'd become heartless and faithless, and they were in danger of walking away. And he said, Jesus is amazing. He's he's exactly God in the flesh. You know, a few highlights. Well, he provided purification for sins. He sits at God's right hand. He made the universe. Said he's awesome. And he says, he's the one that announced the mission. But in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, We must pay more careful attention so that we do not drift away. Drifting is a slow process. It just kind of happens. You don't realize the current that you're in, and all of a sudden you look up and realize you're completely off course. As Christians, we commit to a mission to seek and save the lost, to make Jesus Lord of our life, 
to give up everything for Him, to surrender ownership and control of all we have to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But I ask you this morning, are you still on the mission? You say, well, where is the mission? It's right here in Santa Clarita. You don't need to go to another country to live out the mission field. The mission field is right here. In this awesome place that we live. But are you still devoted to the mission? Unless you actively devote yourself to the cause, the course of life will drift you farther and farther away from the purpose that you committed to when you said Jesus is Lord. Life just happens that way. You don't drift closer to God. You don't drift to a more mission-centered lifestyle. It's just the opposite. And the writer of Hebrews says, we got to pay careful attention or we will drift. And this is just kind of the intro phase before he talks about what these men and women need. And we're going to stay in Hebrews the rest of the time. But point number one, Jesus is the source of the mission. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, starting in verse 14, he says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. And in verse 6 it says, But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Now he tells us about Jesus. He tells us about the man Jesus. He talked about the deity of Jesus, that God made the universe through him, that that he sits at his right hand. But it's too easy to want to disconnect with the humanity of Jesus. I mean, how do you wrap your mind around somebody that was 100% man and 100% God? You know, people ask all the time, Rob, was he, was he man or is he God? Yes. You say, well, I can't figure that out. Me either. So if you do, let me know. But I would say we do not have a hard time connecting with the deity of Jesus. It's his humanity that we struggle with. And yet it's one of the most powerful things that, that God wanted you and I to understand. Is that Jesus is made just like you and me. That when we're discouraged, he says, 
yeah, I know what that feels like. When we're struggling, he goes, yeah, I know what that feels like. When we're tempted, yeah, I know what that feels like. So, so he can be merciful and faithful. High priest to you. That's an incredible concept that will change the way you live your life if you fully can grasp it. It takes work. You know, I don't find it takes as much work to connect with Jesus on my good days. It's on the bad days that this is most difficult. It says, just flesh and blood. He's made just like you and he feels what you feel. So he can relate. And that's why his life is so monumental because he's the source, not only of the mission of forgiveness, but of the courage for you and I to live out the mission. And the more we connect with Jesus, the more courage we're going to have to live that life. It's too easy to get distracted. A little later in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, in verse 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, Jesus is the source. Are you connected to him? You know, I, I love the church. I love the Bible. I love our worship music. I love our relationships. And all those things are helpful. But they're not the source of the mission. Jesus is. And sometimes we substitute Jesus for something else. And along with it, your courage will go. Along with it, your commitment will go. Meaning the body become optional. If they fit in to my real priorities, I'll go. I don't want to have to go to the difficult ones. I don't want to have to go to the ones that require money. I don't want to have to schedule around something and miss something that I would want to be. No, you know, when, when life is all about Jesus, you live differently. Think about when you fell in love for the first time. What would you do for the person you're in love with? It wasn't about convenience. You're just consumed with that individual. And that's what mattered. You know, when we said Jesus is Lord, 
We said, oh, my life is consumed by you. It's devoted to you. It's all about you. Is your life still all about Jesus? You see, if not, your courage will fade. It won't be other-centered because you're more entangled with yourself and your wants and your needs. So we, we talk about having a quiet time every day. Think about it as your daily conversation. Think about it as your connection time. You know, sin will block our connection with Jesus. You say, well, you, you know, um, we all sin. I, I asked Reese this morning, I go, Reese, have you sinned since your baptism? He said, yeah. I'm like, what? Don't you love God? said, well, we all sin. We need the grace of God. And that's true. But the grace of God is never meant to be a license to tolerate sin in our life. We're saved by grace, not from it. It carries with it obligations to live life in a holy and righteous manner. The writer of Hebrews, he's trying to tell these men and women, here's what you need to stay devoted so that you don't drift away. And he's saying, what what sin are you entangled in? What are you burdened by? Sometimes we're just burdened by life issues, things that they're not sinful in and of themselves, but they, they take all our energy and we just have nothing to give to God and our connection to a son. He says, what are you going to do to get connected to the source. You know, when you're not doing well spiritually and somebody tells you just get connected to Jesus, doesn't that sound like a pat answer? Oh, you don't you don't really know like you don't you're you're not smart enough to really know what else to say, so you just tell me to do that. Well, I think it's pretty good input since that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. They're thinking about walking away, and the whole book's written to say Connect to Jesus again. Yeah, you could just sum up the book by have a good quiet time with Jesus. And walk with him. Make that commitment. Jesus is the source. What will you do differently if you're disconnected from him right now? You know, one mistake I made in my spiritual life when I wasn't close to Jesus is I would think, okay, I want to wait for my courage and my motivation and my energy to return, and then I will be able to go and connect. But that's not what they tell me to do. It's like, no, go and connect with Jesus. And then those things will return. Jesus is the source. Point number two is unbelief will stop your mission. Go back to uh, chapter 3 in the book of Hebrews. Unbelief will stop your mission. 
chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. You know, it's amazing what the writer here says. And he gives us that admonishment to see to it. That's like brother to brother, sister to sister. It's like, hey, we got to help each other. Why? we got to see to it that nobody has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away. Why? Because... It robs you of your mission. It blocks God's purpose for your life. There's a deception that occurs when unbelief enters our heart. And being deceived is one of the scariest places to be. Because when you're deceived, you don't realize it at all. You are absolutely convinced that whatever you're thinking is, is right and valid and accurate. And yet somebody else is like, no, your your thinking is crazy. But you're deceived. So you're like, no. The fact that you think I'm crazy means you're crazy. (laughs) And in teenage lingo, you're thinking, why are you freaking out? No, it takes faith to live the Christian life. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can function in the church without having an active, living faith. Just because you had it a month ago or a year ago doesn't mean that you are living life now with an active, vibrant faith. The Israelites had a faith when they walked through the Red Sea, but when God led them to the Promised Land, they're like, no way. The people are too big. They're too tall. We're just little grasshoppers. No way. We're not going in. A group of people that had the faith to get out of Egypt did not have the faith to get into the promised land. It takes faith to live the Christian life. It takes faith to go to grief recovery. It takes faith to reconcile conflict. It takes faith To decide to repent takes faith to be humble. Takes faith to take responsibility for the situation you are in. 
requires faith to help somebody else. Requires faith to give up the bitterness in your heart. Takes faith to be self-controlled. Takes faith to prioritize the meetings of the church body. Takes faith to talk to somebody else about God in their spiritual life. It takes faith to decide to not let your emotions rule the decisions that you make. I'm sure this list is incomplete. It's just the first things I thought of. But unbelief will block these decisions. And if we get to the point where we stopped breaking through barriers in our life, where we stopped exploring new lands, new territories, we feel stuck, we feel bored, we feel stagnant. Let me tell you what the problem is. It's unbelief. Say, well, whose fault is it if my faith is not strong? The one in your chair. He says in verse 19, it says, So we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. See, think about what that verse is saying. And he says, No, they were able to enter. Until they chose the path of unbelief. Now, they did not have the ability to go into the promised land. Our decision to live with courage and faith affects what we are able to do. Now, that's kind of amazing to think about. You go, well, I mean, does it really matter? I mean, I'm going to be able to, to, to make my decisions and, and be a good dad, be a good husband, you know, be a good minister. I mean, it, you know. No, the Bible says it absolutely changes what you're able to do. I was watching the end of uh, one of the stages of a big bike race that just came through Santa Clarita and uh, the Amgen Tour of California. Maybe you've heard about it, but the stage yesterday ended on the top of a mountain, Mount Baldy. And they were talking about these professional riders, and sometimes the mistakes they make is when they're getting to the end of the race and they have maybe, you know, five, six, seven, eight miles left, they can think, I'm in the home stretch. I don't need to worry about eating or drinking. But going up a mountain, it's so challenging. They said, if they don't eat or drink, they bonk. That's the uh, athletic terminology of basically running out of gas because you didn't have the nourishment. They had the physical ability, but they bonked because they didn't eat or drink. And you and I can be in the exact same situation. We get up that morning, we have choices that we face, we've got the mission. The path of what we can accomplish is set right in front of us. Whether or not we choose to live that day with faith or unbelief 
will change what we are able to do. Now, the powerful part of that is it's your faith that makes the difference. So when you have a strong faith, you love that verse, don't you? Yes. You know, it's kind of like if I was going to race those bike riders up a hill and I had such amazing faith, that was the equivalent of a Ducati. And they're like, okay, they're on their bike and you get to ride on a Ducati because you're just that strong. I'm like, oh yeah, this is awesome. And away I go up the mountain and I would just smoke them and it'd be great. On the other hand, I got no faith. They go, here's your rusted out junker. And you're going to have to try and get up that hill on that. They're like, oh, I got no chance. You know, some of us, that's how we feel in the morning when we wake up. And what matters? It's your faith. How much faith is required to make the decisions that you make? For yourself, for your family, in your career, your life choices. How much faith is required to make those choices? Your success on the mission field will demand it. Finally, point number three. Writer Hebrews says, remember your early days. You know, we're all aging. Went to a a 50th birthday party for my friend, the half-centurion. Tim O'Connor. And, uh, you know, I'm getting close to 48, but I'm excited uh, because, you know, my study through the scriptures, 48 is still youthful. <laughs> and old people start at 49 and over. So I'm pretty excited about that. But early days. And there were some not, uh, just amazing photos of Tim in his early days. He had long, flowing, blonde, reddish hair. Skin-tight pants. <laughs> guitar. And he's like... You know, the early days, it's like you're, you're wild and you're, you're crazy days. I mean, you're just like fired up back. In, in those days, you were going to make it in the NBA or the major leagues. You had great vision. I was going to get an H1 Hummer out of the deal. It's all right, Luke. I love you anyway. You know, when we're, when we're young, we just have, we have that. We just have the greatest visions. I'm going to fly to the moon. God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, and people that look at you like, uh-huh, 
I don't know. You're like, what's your problem? <laughs> you know what? The early days of your Christianity, that's how you live life. You're just like excited. Everything's amazing. You, you just are convinced everyone around you is open. Everyone will respond to the truth. I mean, how could they not? You've got a vision of the hundreds and thousands of lives that are going to change because of what God's going to do through you. You love his word and you know it transforms lives. And you're just pumped about it. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, remember your early days. We're in chapter 10. I don't know if I told you where we were. Yeah, chapter 10. Verse 32. 32. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about the wording in verse 35, he says, so do not throw away your confidence. You ever thrown away something important? I remember one year before they had direct deposit on your tax return refund. We threw away the check. Now, let me just tell you, never do that. <laughs> you know, you can throw away a check. Somebody writes you for, you know, rent or whatever. It's easy to go and get another one. But let me tell you, let me tell you what the process is. They said, well, did you sign the check? No, we did not. Well, re- we require that we now wait the full 90 days that the check is valid for to see if it gets cashed. If it gets cashed, then there's another lengthy process that you're going to have to go to to prove that it was not your signature on the check. And if you're not being honest and it was your signature and somebody else cashed it, then you don't get any money. So we had to wait 90 days just to, and you know, whenever you're trying to get hold of the government for money, oh yeah, they answer the phone on the first ring. Oh yes, Ron, we're ready. We're going to FedEx your money overnight. Yes, that's exactly how it is. All because we threw away the check. But we went through the hassle. Because it was a worthwhile endeavor. 
You know, sometimes we feel like our faith is eroded away. Like it's taken from us. Somebody stole it. The circumstances of life just chipped away at my faith. I had it. And then somebody else did this to me and it took it away. And I used to have a lot and they stole it. And now I only have a little. You know, that's not what the writer of Hebrews said. He says, do not throw it away. Throw it away. You know, I hate parking tickets. The town we grew up in, Ottumwa, Iowa, it was a nickel for an hour of parking. And if you got a parking ticket back then, it was $2. Two bucks. And the whole town was annoyed. So we had a vote and decided, let's remove all parking meters in the city of Ottumwa. So we did. You could buy your own parking meter wanted you know you get you get a parking ticket nowadays you wish it was two bucks remember a a brother and he and his wife lived in woodland hills a few blocks away and and they ran into their apartment really quick to get something and got some fan mail on their windshield they'd parked in a bus loading zone So this is back in 1994. That parking ticket was $365. Oh, yeah. Now, I want you to imagine, like, if I just came up here and I took $365 and I just wadded it up and just threw it out there. If you caught it, you'd be fired up. You'd go, Ron, what is your deal? Like, you just threw that money away? Yeah, that's how parking tickets feel. You're just wadding it up, throwing it away. So, well, how stupid would it be to do that with our faith? And that's what we do. We make choices to get rid of our courage. Why? Well, because Satan attacks. Disappointing things happen. It doesn't work out the way we want. You know, I was thinking about this. It takes, it's actually very easy to start a commitment. You know, planting the, the Moscow church, it was exciting. There wasn't really any perseverance required to start. You know, it requires no perseverance to get married. It requires no perseverance, you know, to do almost anything that matters on day one. But as the months go on, as the years go on, that's when perseverance is required. You know, I loved our study, the 40 days to a joy-filled life at the beginning of the year. And the thing that impacted me the most is that I have a choice of what to think about, what to put my mind on. And it will affect how I feel. It will affect how I live. You know, we're in the persevering phase of our mission. 
Now, you know, Reese, he's, st- he's still in the early days. Not much perseverance required at like week two and a half. But the mission is glorious. And it matters because souls are on the line. You know, what we gave today to special missions, that's perseverance. That's faith. Because some of us have been given to Eurasian missions for over 20 years. How many people in here have been given to Eurasian missions over 20 years? Yeah, look around. Two decades. I mean, that's awesome. Say the mission requires courage. So if your courage is waning, what, what do we do? Remember your early days. Go back to the beginning. Remember the zeal. And persevere. Jesus is the source. We must be connected to him. We, we can't try it any other way. Say, what's at stake? Your mission. The choice today is yours. Say, what will you choose? Your faith will make a difference. How much strength you have will be determined by how close to Jesus you are. Let's fix our eyes on him. He's amazing. And he's made just like you and me. Do not throw away your courage and confidence. Let's keep it to the end. Because the glory is waiting. The mission requires courage. Let's stand and close in the final song.